Welcome to the Mostly Legal Podcast, a show where we tell the untold stories behind people who make law firms operate. Law firm marketing and branding is more important than ever. It helps build and strengthen your firm's profile and reputation. Our guest is no stranger to the law firm marketing space. I'm Amanda Copeless, Executive Director of Sheffield, Lohman and Wilson. And I'm Rob Joyner, Chief Revenue Officer for Centerbase. Our guest, Stephanie Marone, is a law firm marketing all-star. She's a LinkedIn expert, blog author, business development coach, public speaker, and more. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Centerbase, software built to power mid-sized law firms. Let's get started. We are talking to Stephanie Marone, who is the founder and chief marketing officer and all the wonderful, beautiful things of Stephanie Marone Consulting and the founder of Social Media Butterfly, which I'm going to ask you a little bit about that in just a second. You've worked in a lot of big, substantial law firms in marketing department and in different marketing roles. And you're super smart. You have an undergraduate degree from NYU and a master's degree in strategic communications from Columbia University. I don't even know what those words mean. So maybe you can tell us what that means as well. (laughs) Yeah. So you and my mom also who like tells people, oh, she has an MBA. I'm like, no, I actually don't. And I actually got my graduate school degree while I was working full-time at Cromwell. Yeah. So one of the perks back in the day was to pay for your graduate education. So that was really cool. It took me five and a half years, but I did it. Okay. I'm really proud of that. I was in-house at law firms for about 20 years. And then I went off and started my own business, which I could do because I had been building my brand for years on social media and writing and speaking engagements. If I hadn't had two speaking engagements coming up right after I, we can talk about that later, left left (laughs) my job, I would have not been able to launch this the way that I that I did, but I had been using social media like before most people were. And I was telling firms to do the same thing. And they would look at me and say, ah, we don't need social media, you know, that sort of thing. But today we see clients and individuals in leadership roles who are truly, they were born with an iPhone in the crib, I like to say, and they are looking for people for legal services and for referrals and anything under the sun online, that's their first point. So you have to have a good social media presence. And so, so I was able to carve out a niche there. And I moved from working at major firms to a midsize firm. I was the CMO of a midsize firm for a number of years. And today I work with mostly only small and midsize law firms and legal mm-hmm. service providers. A lot of legal service providers, I won't name who they are, but they don't do a great job of marketing themselves because they're so busy worrying about their clients and yeah. you know doing all the things and not marketing their own thought leadership and content. So yeah, it's interesting. But you guys know I was a history and art history major and I used to write the horoscopes for a major women's magazine. So Oh my gosh, wow. I don't know which one of those I gotta write these down because I don't know which one of those to dig into first. <laughs> uh, I have oh, a long be, list oh, of questions. Yeah, it's gonna be a really lucky month for you guys. So you're gonna ah, be both you know what? She's on to something because something really lucky is happening to me this month, which I can't share yet. But uh, oh. tell Still me. The a- beans. <laughs> All right, let's go into the impetus for your blog, this the social media butterfly. So the blog, it's the social media butterfly blog.com. First of all, it's the perfect name for a blog about social media content marketing and that sort of thing. And a lot of people have called me a social butterfly, although I'm less of a social butterfly since 
the pandemic. I don't know about you guys, but I, it's a, it's exhausting to go to social events. And I feel like I, I go to bed earlier now. I go to bed, you guys, when my dogs say it's time to go to bed. <laughs> and they'll definitely be on the podcast. So Lucy and so, Scarlett. <laughs> yes, Lucy and Scarlett. You can follow them on Instagram. I would love to be a momager. Okay. And just manage their <laughs> careers. They're French bulldogs. And they, it's not hard to be famous as a Frenchie, but I have moderate success. That's my next social media project. So I had been writing for years on LinkedIn, like I said, and posting content of value, never selling myself. And I never needed to because I was working in house. And so I was always providing advice. And in the beginning, I was commenting on other people's posts. And then I started feeling confident enough to write my own post, but I always struggled with building my own brand and working at an organization and how much of it could I do without my employer getting annoyed with me or Mm -hmm. worrying I'm not working. So one day, Kevin O'Keefe from Lexblog, who I'd known from, you know, again, you know, this legal world is such a twisted ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And he, I was a client of his because he had given, um, you know, set up blogs at a number of my firms. And he said, you should have a blog. And I said, wait, what me? And he said, yes. And he said, you really need to have your content in one central place. And I I would encourage everybody to do this. You don't own the content of yours on social media. You need to go and download the full archive of all of your LinkedIn posts and especially Twitter, which is probably the subject (laughs) of another podcast, but you can get a full download of all those tweets and all those posts. And if you think about LinkedIn as a as your own blog, so to speak, which it is for many people, you have the foundation of a blog. And I'm I'm not saying everybody needs a blog, but I had so much content that I was able to repurpose things. And so the blog came from there and it took off. And one of the things I try to do is, you know, again, it's never salesy. It's always helpful. And I started a series called Women Who Wow, which Amanda, you need to be part of. I know I'm going to. Draws good. That draws people to the site where I profile women in the legal industry and give them a forum to talk about the great things they've done. Cause I don't feel like that exists enough. And it's built a community built a, you know, we have webinars, we do a lot of different things. And so, so that's been great. And the blog has been around now, I want to say five, six years. And it continues to be a place where I will write not just long form content, but even short form content. So Blogging is not for everybody and not everybody needs a blog, but if you are someone who is a prolific writer, then I think it's something to consider, but the world has a lot of law firm blogs and they are all very similar. So if you want to talk about law firm blogging 101, I'm happy to do that as well. (laughs) I I want to talk about blogging. I want to talk about social. I want to talk about your transition from in-house to being an entrepreneur. Let's stay on blogging for a second. When you think about starting a blog, coming up with all the ideas, that's the hard part, right? Mm -hmm. And being consistent and writing that content. How do you do it? There's a number of ways to do it. So I Mm -hmm. tackle social media in the same way. What I do is tell people to create content pillars. And so these are three to five or six areas in your wheelhouse that support your brand and business for which you want to be known and and where you feel like you have a unique vantage point, okay? Because... You can get a lot of the same news in the world. It's something I see a lot with legal writing where people will report on the same thing and there's nothing really unique about it or a take on it that makes it yours. And so that's something that I try to do. So I map out the areas I talk about. So my blog is the social media butterfly blog. So of course I talk a lot about social, 
but I'm much more of like a LinkedIn person than I am an Instagram person. I've had like very poor success on Instagram. Follow me at Stephanie Marone Legal Marketing, (laughs) will you please? um, But I also talk about ancillary things in the legal industry, such as professional development and marketing as a whole. There's a broad range of legal marketing topics, but you know, I'm not going to be talking about how to make a roast chicken, or at least you don't want me to, because I'm not that great at that. Although, I mean, I guess I could, I could learn, but you could watch a video of it. It would be funny. So I stick to what I know and I stick to what I think I'm good at. And that's what I would tell people to do. And the the same way, like when you post something on LinkedIn, like you're not going to post something that's not related to what you do, or at least people will be confused if you do that. So I really try to stick to those areas, again, that support my brand and my business. And what can I say from my experiences? Storytelling, Rob, is a huge part of this because sharing the things I've done right and the things I've done wrong. In fact, the things I've done wrong and my failures is always like a higher rated post. They really help people get to know you as a human because there's so much like boring static content in the legal industry. So when someone shows personality, I think that makes them stand out. So I'm not afraid to share things and personal, you know, things that have happened to me. And I think that also resonates with, with some people. So I would say just like find your angle and stick to it and make sure it supports your brand and business. Can you talk a little bit more? You mentioned pillars, right? And pillar pages. I understand the concept. I know the concept, but a lot of people probably don't. Can you go into what you mean by pillar pages? And then it's more important than just choosing the topics, but there's a reason to build your blog out that way, using these pillars and then having the sub pages underneath it. Can you talk about that just for a second? Yes, sure. So content pillars really help, like I said, define your brand and business. And they really help you also create an editorial calendar, which I use for everything I do. So you know, you'll see a blog post on my blog and it'll be the longer version of, of a social media post. You do get quite a bit of characters when it comes to LinkedIn. You get, you can basically write a short article on LinkedIn, but if you really want to delve deep into a topic, you need to do it in an article. And again, you don't have to have a blog. There are other ways to do this, like third-party submissions to JD Supra and other sorts of places that take articles. But I, in fact, anybody who wants to write for my blog is I'm, I always have <laughs> guest contributors, but I would say that it's just important to think about even like, so you come up with your content pillars. Those are those areas again, that you're going to stick to and then think about what is going on in each of those areas. Like I think about timely things and then I think about evergreen pieces. So those are the pieces that tend to do the best. And those are the pieces that have the longest shelf life. So that would be something like 10 reasons why you need to be on LinkedIn. That's pretty yeah. ever, what I say, evergreen, evergreen. Tree yeah. Is like, yeah. You know, yeah. Forever. We know what that means. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. So that kind of content does really well, especially also for lawyers. I find like a lot of lawyers don't do that. They'll write some esoteric update on something with some cutesy title that has something about Game of Thrones. Because by the way, the title of your blog is so important. Just like the first two lines of your LinkedIn post are so important because people have very limited attention spans. (laughs) They want to make sure they get really good content. So I would say, you know, think about a mix of timely stuff and also stuff that is more, I guess, time, timeless. So timely and timeless. And then go from there. Now they say that the longer the blog post, the better it does. So what I tend to do sometimes is reuse some of the things from other blog posts. And the most important thing to do with a blog is to have backlinks and also cross link internal links. So if you wrote an article about LinkedIn 
your LinkedIn profile tips. And then you have another article about, I don't know, like LinkedIn best practices for sharing content. You'll want to link to that. And if somebody on another site will link to that article as well, that's gold. And that's what's going to help your Google search results. So all of those things are really important in that. But I would just tell people, find what you're passionate about too. That makes a huge difference. I write only about the things I like to write about. And I think that that helps me write better. You know, and also if you're not a writer, speak, or if you're not into that, do a podcast, right? I have <laughs> this is the it. least, the least first blogs, then speeches. And if you cannot do any of those things, then no, I mean, podcast. listen, podcasts are great. And I think that they really bring content to people in a way that, you know, we, we didn't have this medium, just like we yeah. didn't have social, we didn't have any of these things. I w- remember back in the day, I used to mail newsletters to clients. Yeah. With yeah. content. Yeah. So, you know, I'm so sitting over I'm, here. Wait a minute. You've had like three questions in a row. Yeah, but I mine are good. I, Go I get a question. Okay. First of all, I want to say thank you again, because I'm sitting over here writing notes as if I'm in a lecture and I'm thinking I can just listen to this again, but I'm like, okay, first two lines are important. Create content pillars. I'm, I'm writing all of that. But I do want to ask you a question about when you came on and I said, oh, I'm going to talk about what college you into. And you're, you're trying to tell me, I'm like, oh, it's on social media. I can find it. You started to tell me that you don't post everything on social media. So you do share a lot. How do you decide what to share and what not to share about yourself on social media? This is tricky. It's a great question, Amanda. Also, because a lot of us are str- like, you know, straddling the world of building our own brands, like I said earlier, mm-hmm. and then also working for an organization, especially yep. organizations that are a little, you know, I don't want to say stuffy, but, you know, law firms are a little buttoned up, right? So yep. most law firms have social media policies and you should adhere to all of those so you want to build your own brand, but you also don't want to make it look like you're searching for a job or you are not focused on your work or passionate about what you do. Or what if you post at 10 a.m.? Are they are you supposed to be working? Are they going to yeah. judge you for actually not being on the clock? But you could have written that post the night before, right? Yep. And then posted yep. it at the optimal time of day, which is actually between like 8.30 and 12 p.m. 10 o'clock. When you post on social. Yeah. So give it, give or take, it's normal commuting hours in the morning. But if you post anything after 4 p.m., it'll get usurped by the content for the next day. And people are busy. They're like getting ready for the next day, having dinner, whatever it is. Back to the original <laughs> question. So I do share a lot. I mentioned before the posts and the blog posts that I share where I tell a story and I talk about something that happened to me, those are the posts that do the best for me. And that is because people like to connect with other people. They Mm -hmm. like to do business with other people. They also are sick of the dry, boring content that we see a lot in corporate America, in Mm -hmm. particular law firms. And so when I pick what to share, it's either something that very much inspires me, something that also has happened to me that I really want to talk about. So I talk a lot about mean girls in the workplace and I talk about being fired from my job and having, you know, a mental health issue and what that did. And that that is why I started my own business and I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. But if my post can help one person, then I feel like I'm doing something good in the world because I can give you all the LinkedIn advice in the entire world. And that's great. But I also may be able to help somebody who's struggling a little bit. And so that's what I choose. And then I'll tell you guys, I have my own personal social and then I have my public persona and I'm very strategic about what I post 
online. I may be sharing more than you're comfortable sharing, and that's okay. It's all very deliberate. One of the managing partners at a former firm of mine said, you know, you post a lot of things that people are thinking, but they don't say. And that made me feel like, okay, you know what? I'm doing something good. And I feel like I have a responsibility having a network as wide as I do to draw attention to some issues and to help people and to prop up other people as well. But I do recommend that everybody has a personal and a professional social media platform. So I have my own Instagram where, you know, I have less than 200 followers and those are my friends and my family. What I have on those channels, you guys are pictures of my dogs and my nieces and nephews. And, you know, that's it. I'm very also careful. And everyone should remember that, you know, someone could screenshot something and it could go out and you really want to be really careful. And on Facebook, there's certain things I never talk about. I never get into a conversation about politics. I never get into a conversation. Although, oh my God, Thanksgiving's coming up. I wonder if like, people <laughs> I hope they don't do that. You know, I'm very careful about what I post. And then I have my own separate work Instagram. That's also very different in terms of the kinds of content. Now people can follow me both places, but if you try to friend me on my personal account, I'm going to friend you back on, on my other work account. Because oh, okay. I feel like there's certain things that I want to keep private in my life, but I'm a very public person. And I would also tell everyone, just Google yourself regularly, make sure the results on Google make sense with who you are, because there are some things that may come up, pictures that may come up from like the MySpace days. And you don't realize what's actually out there on the internet. There was a time when there was a, one of those websites that, that, um, you know, calls your home address from Mm -hmm. multiple sources that I saw my home address on the internet. I also saw my mom's obituary on the internet and I was sort of mm-hmm. shocked at some of these things. And you can have some of these things removed and other things you can't. Uh, one of the lawyers I work with was married at one point and had a very high profile New York Times wedding announcement and then had a very high profile divorce. And it's on, <laughs> on the first page of Google. And he said, oh, we need to get that down. I'm like, you can't actually. <laughs> the only uh-huh. way you can make that better is to keep publishing more content and that'll make that go down. But managing your own online brand is so important. So Google yourself, set up a Google alert that's all free to do and make sure you're in control of what's out there about you. You forgot the burner account. Yeah. Oh, I have like three of those. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, so, and also by the way, when you're on LinkedIn, definitely go check your settings. Make sure you're looking at people's profiles in invisible only mode because a lot of people don't realize that that- I need to I need to do a better job of doing that because yeah. I, I don't want to say I do some LinkedIn stalking, but sometimes I do some LinkedIn stalking. And- I mean, everybody does for whatever reason. And you may be fine with people seeing that, but you may also just want to hide that information. So <laughs> if you're going to do massive amounts of searches, I would say make yourself invisible. <laughs> While we're on the topic of LinkedIn, I'm always interested. You see people that have different stances on their posts. Do you just text only pictures or video? Where do you stand? In terms of posts and what I normally do, I can give you data about this too. And just like in my 97 years of posting on LinkedIn, <laughs> this is what I found. Posts that have a picture do better than posts that don't. And this is because people are scrolling on their phones and they're scrolling very quickly and they're looking for something that resonates with them. The photos that do the best 
are photos of the person. And in particular, even like selfies or just a picture of somebody because people engage again with people. People do business with people. People are very nervous about putting themselves on social. It's not that you even have to have like a photo shoot. A lot of my pictures, my dogs take. I'm just kidding. I I was like, can your dogs take pictures of me? Because you always look great in your pictures. I have one of these remote controls that from Amazon for three bucks and I take my own pictures in I also take my own videos. So what I like about video, and it's not for everybody, it's hard to show up on video. I don't use any fancy equipment. It's my iPhone. It's that little $3 remote control, which I have to replace all the time, is that people get to actually see the intonation of your, they see, they hear the intonation of your voice. They see you. They really get to know you and you can communicate, I think, some complex things very easily. And I also think and I know this, that a very small percentage of people are using video on LinkedIn, which gives it a ton of opportunity. So the posts that I do with video tend to do really well, as long as a video is less than three minutes. And they say even the sweet spot is less than two minutes. The jury's out on that. But, you know, you can take a webinar, right? You could take a recording like this and turn it into many different short segments. And mm-hmm. lawyers and law firms should also be thinking about doing that with their long form webinars, because, by the way, nobody really wants to watch your 50 minute webinar unless they're getting CLE credit for that. <laughs> OK, and so also the text only posts, they do really well as well. My key with that is a very strong opening few sentences because the post gets truncated. And so you see the word see more. And so then the person has to actually decide whether they are going to expand on the post and read the whole thing. Short paragraphs, even like one or two line paragraphs are also key. The way that people look for things to resonate with them is very quickly. And if they don't see something and it's block copy, which law firms do so much, they're just going to scroll right past it. So, so I shouldn't start with, I'm humbled and proud to announce. Oh my God, Amanda, you want, I, you really want to talk about that? Um, <laughs> I, I counted up how many posts, like start, these are those super lawyers, best lawyers posts, uh-huh. chambers posts. When they came out, there were, I don't know, 170 on the first day. And then it just kept expanding. And you don't sound, I not, you sound neither humbled or honored <laughs> this content. You sound boring. And so tell a story. The better way to do that would be to say, you know, 10 years ago, I never expected I would be running the real estate department at a major firm or, you know, I always wanted to be a firefighter. And then I went to law school and here's why. Or there's a team that works with make it make it about your client also even better. So I could go on and on and on. I will tell you, let me go back to like the LinkedIn post for a second. LinkedIn just added the ability to have automatic captions on mm-hmm. your LinkedIn post, which is super cool. I used to upload my own captions and most people are looking at social media, especially LinkedIn. Un- without on quiet, on sound. Yep. Yes. Yep. So it's really important. So you can turn them off and use your own, or you can just go with what LinkedIn has and you can edit it one time. Like they mess up the spelling of my name because it's with, you know, an F instead of a PH. So I have to go and edit it. You can only edit it on your desktop. And okay. the jury is out for me on whether I think hashtags work on LinkedIn. I don't know that they do, but if you are going to use them, you need to research them. And you also can't use more than five or your copy gets flagged as spam. Stephanie, I've noticed too on videos, maybe this is just mine. You get more lurking, right? Yeah. And let me say this also about social. Everybody here who's listening and you guys also remember the number of likes and comments you get on a post isn't the full 
indicator of how well a post does because most people are on social media in listen only slash lurker mode and they <laughs> don't feel the need to engage with your content. There are people who say to me, Stephanie, I love your posts and they've never ever liked a post of mine. So remember, <laughs> look at the, I think I'm guilty. I'm like, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> exhibit A. Number, <laughs> yeah. And look at the number of impressions mm-hmm. that a post has and how many eyeballs are on it. That is a better indicator. So I completely agree with you about the lurkers. And remember, everybody is looking at everything you and your company are doing every day on social. And oftentimes, even if they know how to find you on a locker room website, they're going to Google and then they're bypassing your bio and going right to LinkedIn because they yep. want to know who you know, who they know. Yep. So Stephanie, law firm 2.0, full service firm, giving you a marketing budget, few different questions how are you allocating that budget? How are you using it? Right. I'm guessing you're going to say don't sponsor golf tournaments and races. Uh, Actually, no, I think golf, you guys, I think golf is an amazing activity because you have have an audience for a very captive period of time. So I actually think golf is well worth it. And the worse you are, the better, I guess, let your clients win. I think golf is terrific. You got the marketing budget. How are you going to spend it? The other part of the question, how do you balance promoting the firm versus the attorneys too? Okay. The first question, marketing budget. I'm working on three of them right now. So I'm the outsourced chief marketing officer for three different law firms. They're midsize and small law firms. And so the budget process is very different than working at a big firm. When I worked at a big firm, I was mostly in communications and I was responsible for the communications part of the budget. And now I'm looking at everything. So Mm -hmm. one of the things I do is obviously work with the number from last year. I argue with finance a lot, but, (laughs) but I also look to see what actually provided ROI, so return on investment. And there are things like we all know that don't, like your investment in content marketing, like your investment maybe in a podcast or on consulting to do LinkedIn because of the simple fact that not everybody's going to tell you like, you know, even if you're on the, in their stream of consciousness, which is why we do these things, it's not that they're going to tell you, oh, I called you because you wrote that great client alert or you had that great LinkedIn post. All of these things contribute to the overall brand and business. And if somebody can actually say, oh, I hired you because of your podcast and what I've learned, then great. But I, I, it kills me when lawyers and finance folks say, you know, we need to know ROI before we move forward with these things because it's not easily tracked in many ways and you have to just do them in good faith, I guess. And that is difficult for finance and lawyer folks Mm -hmm. to do. I also think sponsorships can be really, really hard. And like, that is a huge resource suck in every way, financially and with individuals as well, getting away from the office. I look at those things and say, okay, what did we do last year? Did we actually bring in any business from this? Like, did the lawyers actually make connections there, speak at a conference, and that led to a new matter? And those things, I think, are more easily trackable than the other things. And I also would say, Rob, there's two there's two parts of law firm marketing, of course. Like, there's the marketing, mm-hmm. so like the Marcom, the MarTech, the social media, the PR, the website, all that stuff. And then there's the business development part mm-hmm. and the, you know, the pitches, the proposals, the lawyers, I guess their budgets for taking clients out, the golf events, the sponsorships, all those things. Both are equally important. 
one of them costs more. The marketing side of things tends to cost more because it's more paying for visibility and paying to try new things out. And there's certain things you have to do. Like you can't let your website get to a crisis situation. I know a firm that hasn't updated their website in 10 years. Here's the problem. They're a tech firm. You can't represent technology clients when you have a website that looks like it's from the 1990s should be on a Commodore 64. Dan, does anyone know what a Commodore 64 yes, is? Yes, I Thank do. You. I do. Okay. Rob's, Rob's out. Like, Rob's like, I'm out. It. Rob's um, out. It was an enormous computer that a lot of us used. It was like the first computer. So yep. before, the, before the big, huge Macs. So, Apple IIe, baby. Yes. I guess I, I would just say everything's an investment. You just have to figure out where to make that investment. And sometimes it's a blind investment because you just don't know how something's going to work out. I'm hearing a lot of law firms are cutting budgets. They're saying cut things 10, 20% across the board. They've made very big investments in talent on both the staff side. I hate the word staff, but the non-lawyer side, I don't know. Which I hate too, right? I know. I don't know what I like. And then all these laterals. And so I think that lawyers need to be held a little bit more accountable for the things they're doing. And I think a lot of times we just say, yes, you know, this corporate group gets this much money, litigation gets this much money, let's allocate <laughs> it. But are we really looking at the things that work and are there things we should try? And also, you guys, the thing I hate the most is, well, that's that's something we, we always did. Well, that's the way we've always done something. It's my favorite. It's my yeah, favorite somebody, line. Somebody just said it to me today. And I was like, but that doesn't mean that that's the right answer, right? <laughs> so having that golf event, maybe it's not worth it. Supporting you know, a cause that one of your clients has holds near and dear to them, maybe it is worth it, maybe not. Taking an ad out in one of those vanity publications for a GC who's being honored, that is not going to bring you money. That's, I think, extortion. But there are other <laughs> things that will. So I, I think it's a long discussion. And Rob, what was the second question? <laughs> Sorry. No, it's okay. With that marketing budget, are you promoting the firm? Or are you promoting oh, right. the attorneys? This is tricky. Also, I work at some firms that each lawyer has their own marketing budget, and that was determined when they joined the firm, part of their lateral agreement or when they made partner. And so they can spend that money as they wish. There's also the greater good for the departments, right? So each like litigation department, corporate, bankruptcy, IP, they all have their own budgets. And you know, it's up to you, the marketing person and the practice area chair, I think, to decide how to allocate those funds. So if so-and-so always goes to Israel for, you know, a startup convention and wants $40,000, true story, but has never brought in a single piece of business in the four years he's been going, that practice chair needs to work with you and make a hard decision on that and say, listen, maybe we need to just have you go and have a ticket there. And I think that we're always caught in the middle between lawyers and practice groups and the firm and what's best for the firm. I mean, I'm certainly getting the squeeze on the budgets, but I know there are certain partners that are rainmakers that we we all know we need to make them happy. So I think it's looking at that. It's looking at, you know, making sure your laterals are happy so they don't jump ship. And part of that is giving them money to do the things that they need to do or they want to do to build their brand and their business. And if you don't, somebody else will. So don't nickel and dime them about going to a conference. If they are a rainmaker, which is a term I also don't like, but if they're a high performer and bringing in business, you probably should say yes, but you also need to invest money in the next generation because people are retiring. The baby boomers are retiring. And so we need to also think about succession planning and other folks. So 
I don't know if that's a long-winded way of saying like it's a little tricky. I think it's important for firms to promote lawyers in addition to the firm because today most clients people do follow, business with people. You said it earlier. Yeah, they follow the lawyer, yeah. they do business with the lawyer. Mm-hmm. So again, it's to your benefit as a firm to make sure that lawyer's happy so they don't jump ship. But the posts and anything you do that's about the firm, it's not going to do as well as when you promote an individual. Again, remember what I said about pictures of people? We should be mm-hmm. using headshots. Any organization, law firm or not, use your people in your social media. It helps the clients and buyers of legal services resonate with, oh, right. there's a human being there. So instead of that stock image of a skyscraper, use the, t- the individuals <laughs> in the team. Particularly <laughs> if you have a story with like diversity or with the fact that the team is diverse. If it's an all white male team, maybe don't use those photos all the time, but vary it up. So I hope, I hope that helps. And I know a lot of people are in the middle of budgeting season, but I think it's, it's going to be a little tougher this year. Have you had a lot of success with firms doing advertising on LinkedIn by buying sponsored posts? Do you find that that's a good use of money? No. Um, I don't think for law firms, because the content that they're promoting is usually self-serving, self-promotional, congratulatory content that's not about their clients. So what I do think would work is certain firms have like, you know, an M&A survey or an Mm -hmm. M&A report or a bankruptcy survey that I think would work for this because you're asking. So there has to be a purpose. And then there has to be a landing page and like you're, you're requesting information for them in, in, you give me something, I give you something. That should be the crux of a LinkedIn campaign or any social campaign. So you sign up here for, you know, here are some insights from our recently published bankruptcy survey, but you also, to get that, you have to give us your information and we will send you information that is hopefully helpful. If you try to promote a post, like I just did a bunch of best law firms announcements that so-and-so firm 130 first tier rankings, nobody cares. And it's just annoying your clients. You should never also send those emails out. I still see firms saying, you know, we recently accomplished X or Y, and it's not about your client. So yes, it could work, Amanda, if the post is about the client and offers value. And those are the questions I ask all the time. If I cannot answer them, I abort mission or rewrite (laughs) it. That's it. So I think it could work. If you can create a piece of thought leadership that is novel and interesting, that is also going to separate you and give you tons of content that you could use for a webinar or a white paper or blog posts, social posts, et cetera. And that would be something I would sponsor. A good part of our audience, our law firm, let's call them operators, right? Instead of administrators. If I'm listening to you talking about building a personal brand and adding value as an administrator or an operator, what would I be posting about? If I am a legal administrator or somebody in a law firm admin position and I am looking to build my brand, this is what I would do. Number one, think about those pillars again, the areas for which you want to be known. You likely won't be at this job forever. In fact, today, I will bet you money that you won't. So you're not building your personal brand. And by the way, you need to think about what your goals are for your personal brand. Is it to find another job? Is it to be more visible in your industry as a leader so that people think of you for speaking engagements and for invitations to write an article for your trade publication? Is it that you want to serve on the board at at some point or volunteer? 
Is it that you're looking for referrals or sales? There are so many different aspects to building a personal brand and they change. Remember, like, so now I'm a vendor, I guess, but I'm also in house. So I see it from both sides and I see like how my brand has changed over the years. Even when I was a happy go lucky law firm professional full time, I wasn't thinking I would have a business. You just never know. So get clear on what you want to do. And remember, LinkedIn today is and building your professional brand is not just for when you're looking for a job. It's to get those coveted positions, like being a guest on a podcast, you know, doing, you know, speaking at your industry conference. I don't know if these folks are more ALA folks or LMA folks or clock folks, but there's so many great conferences today having your own webinars too. Get clear on what it is you want. If you're uncomfortable starting out there, I would say speak a little bit, be a guest on something, or start commenting on people's posts on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. That is the first way that I built my brand way back in the day when the dinosaurs roamed the earth and I was a junior (laughs) marketer. I would go to a conference, you guys, and I would write down some takeaways from some people's sessions. Maybe I take a picture with them, but I would write a post about them and I'd say the things I learned. And even like, for example, let's say you find this podcast so enthralling, you could write a post about it. These are three takeaways. That is a post. Tag that person in the post and their organization. And you guess what? You're going to number one, build a relationship with them. Number mm-hmm. two, they're going to love you because you just gave them praise. Nobody just likes a compliment ever in the history of (laughs) the world. So you've already built then a brand and you're also establishing yourself as a thought leader by reporting on what, where you were. So my other advice here is every single professional activity we all do could be used to build our personal brand. So don't be at a conference or on a webinar or listen to a podcast, like half listening or half being there. Your work will still be there. When you get back, from wherever you are. I, in fact, I guarantee it. Um, I don't even have to read, you know, write the horoscopes to know that, but I will <laughs> tell you that that information will still be there. So I would love, love, love for everybody to be thinking about everything they do as a potential opportunity to build their brand. And if you want to publish content about your organization, about your firm, don't just do the instant repost, add mm-hmm. something. You know, I work with the M&A group and I got to see this matter from start to finish, or I'm so impressed to work with such an amazing team or, you know, pro bono was really important to me and it's important to the firm and then post about something they did. But the worst thing you can do building your brand is just to keep randomly resharing things with that instant post button, because I think it, number one, it's confusing. It dilutes you as well. Yeah. It doesn't add anything. And if I see, sometimes I see firms ask their people to share something and I see multiple people like from a big firm share it. That doesn't really help. You need to have like a few lines of intro text as to why you're sharing it. Mm-hmm. Even just, I'm really proud to work at X firm and that sort of thing. So I well, resharing that- doesn't get ranked as high either. No, it doesn't. You're absolutely right. It doesn't, it doesn't build your personal brand. It doesn't get you ranked. It's just a lazy person's. I'm glad they have <laughs> literally it. everything I post on LinkedIn is a reshare. So thanks for that. <laughs> Stop being lazy, Amanda. So it's not. So the problem, Amanda, is that you're not going to get the benefit of the likes either. It goes to the original post when you do that. So okay. you're not it, it and here's the thing: you have to look so closely to see who reposted it. It's at the very top, but I see the post from the other person. So if you want to repost something of mine, please go ahead, but say why (laughs) this was interesting to you or 
helped you in some way. So okay. I think there are baby steps, you guys, that anybody could take to build their brands. And I would say there's no time like the present. Don't feel like, you know, you're in your mid-career or late career and you've never done this before. Also, if you're junior, you have things to add. You have valuable insights. I love my younger colleagues because I learn from them all the time. I think that they think about things differently than I do. And I appreciate that. So it's never too early or late to start doing this. All right. I have two lighthearted questions to ask you. Question number one, you said you used to write the horoscopes for Redbook. Is that what you yeah. said? Yes. Yeah. So you literally just like plucked things from the sky. You weren't reading Mars and retrograde and all the like moons of Jupiter or whatever it is. Yeah. So, okay. Little known fact about me. Well, I guess now it's more, more widely known. And it's like <laughs> my conversation, break, like break the ice thing when I'm at a party or, you know, at like some hokey, like networking event is that I used to write the horoscopes for Red Book Magazine. So I made them up. I had an astrological advisor. She was, I don't know, a little quirky. I don't really think she knew what she was talking about either. So I would just kind of wing it. I would just kind of write them myself. I also used to write a marriage column and I was 22 at the time and not married. So <laughs> still not married. And I was giving marriage advice to women all over the country. So I would just tell you that, first of all, a good writing background will help you do anything. But, you know, sometimes we have to be creative. Let me tell you, it was also shock going from doing that to working in a law firm environment. (laughs) In my very first day on the job, I was sent to Ann Taylor loft or sent or told to go home and change my clothes because I was like wearing the wrong outfit. I was a magazine person. I wasn't a law firm person. I never (laughs) made that mistake again, but it was a little, it was a little different. Okay. So now my second lighthearted conversation in this, and then we're going to wrap up into our final thing. Can you please Please, please, please tell me what your hair care routine is. <laughs> I know that, I know you have so much more to offer, but you have the most beautiful hair. <laughs> oh my God, that's so funny. Okay, well, those of you, you can't really see it today. So here's the hair thing. So I let my hair grow during COVID as many people did and sort of looked a little cuckoo bananas at one point. It was two different colors, like all the things. But I just decided that I needed to feel better about myself during COVID. So I was like, let me just, grow my hair out and do all the things. So what I do with my hair is I invested in a Dyson and it's the the air wrap. And so I blow dry my hair. Like I let it almost air dry. And then I use the Dyson air wrap and, you know, do it that way. And I'll say the, the products I use, which were recommended through the person who does my hair in New York is Unite. And you can get it on Amazon or through Unite. And I they made a huge difference in my hair. The other secret I have is that I live down the block from a dry bar and I go <laughs> there pretty often. And my they love my dogs. So that is also part of what I do. But I might do a video on how I curl my hair. I would watch it. Literally, I would watch all the products and how I do my hair. And I'm always telling Rob, I'm like, I try to grow mine out, but your hair is just enviable. Oh, okay. I mean, I will tell you though, Amanda, like a little bit about like, I've like, our hair makes a huge difference. And also during COVID, I don't know about you guys. Number one, I gained weight. Number two, I wasn't taking good care of myself. Number three, I was just slobby looking like all day long 
long. Like I was just like, meh. And I just needed to feel good. So you know what I did? I watched Instagram and YouTube videos on hair and makeup because I couldn't Mm -hmm. go anywhere or do anything. So once I decided I didn't want to look like a slob anymore, then I went online and watched all these videos and learned how to do my makeup because I was starting to make videos. And so I became like a hair like a hair expert and a makeup expert. <laughs> so, you know, you, you forget that you forget that Rob and I live in Florida and Texas. We didn't have COVID. So <laughs> that's true. We were shut down here. So it was like, couldn't do a darn thing. So it was just being home. And so yeah. I worked from my master bathroom at my wife's makeup counter. He did. He did. That's he did. what I did. Yeah. yeah. We all just had to do what we had to do. Right. All right. So Stephanie, you're, you're so passionate. So I don't even know how you're going to top all that passion, but the final segment we do in our podcast is called pitch your passion. And it's a chance for you to pitch something that you're passionate about. And we've talked about your blog and your social media and your job, but is there anything left to be passionate about? Okay. Yes. It's my women who wow program. And I really want you to be a part of it. So here's what it's all about. So I was fired from a job and at a major law firm. And I was essentially pushed out the door by a female boss. She was a colleague. And then she became my boss and she saw me as a threat and she did everything she could to undermine me. And she did everything she could to get me out of there. She even attended my farewell party when, you know, they sort of made it look like I left on good terms, but she pushed me out the door and I vowed, number one, I will never be that kind of woman and I will help others. And I will do things to make sure that women are talking more about this mean girl phenomenon. And by the way, that wasn't my first time at the rodeo with mean girls. I was in first grade and a group of women decided that they hated me and like, women, I should say, like kids. And they wrote a list of all the things they didn't like about me. And I never really got over. It's funny, like how this bullying, like just doesn't stop. It gets worse. So Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do was create an environment for women where we could be ourselves and we could promote each other and we could stop ourselves. Because even like, I'll see myself saying something catty about somebody and I don't want to do that. I don't want to be a mean girl. And if I see myself doing it, I try to stop myself in my tracks from doing it. So what this is about is, helping women succeed in an environment full of this BS when it comes to this weird dynamic where women see each other as rivals and we see each other more like we are supporting our own gender and others, and we will set better examples for the future. So you do not know how much I needed to hear this message today. Like it, you really just don't know. I needed to hear it. Rob oh, I'm, knows. Listen, Rob I'm knows. so glad because I know this happens all the time, young and old. I mean, I lost a big group of friends a few years ago. They decided to gang up on me and my circle is small now. It's changed me so mm-hmm. much. I'm in my mid forties and it's made me so much more, I don't know, self-protective and have more boundaries over who's in my life. And I personally and professionally, because this has happened to me in the workplace being, you know, A lot of times you don't see being backstabbed coming or somebody undermining you. And other times you do, you see the writing on the wall. And so I just think that it's something, again, remember I said, one of my managing partners said, you know, you talk about things that not everybody talks about. And this is one of those things. And I think it's really important that we do it. So I want people to know that they're not alone. Like, you know, you had a similar experience. I know like so many women and we, we get a condition to these things. Like it becomes like, I want to say like 
workplace trauma and you just get used to it and it's not okay. And so there's a lot of people doing a lot of things that are not great. And I'm sure Rob, that men do this, but I can only speak to my experience as a woman. So I'll, I'll go with that, (laughs) but it's, I think there's a hole in the market like for this, and this is completely free to be a member. And I'm probably going to do a conference next year. And if we ever, if I ever charge, it would be to give money back to women's organizations and women who need help. And so I really, I want to do something good with the platform I have. If that sounds very Pollyanna. No, that's, that's awesome. But that's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. Cause I can help lawyers all day make money, but what am I really doing? My, my mentor, she's the global CMO. Baker McKenzie, she just left Wendy Bernero. She took me with her to many different jobs. And she says to me all the time, we're not saving lives, Steph. You know, put it in perspective when I get really upset about something. And I get that. But if I can like help anybody with what I do, then I feel like not saving lives, but I feel like I'm I'm contributing to the community because sometimes it's hard to be like, you know, we work in a very niche elite field. And unless you're like working for pro bono stuff, it's hard to sometimes feel like the stuff you're doing is making a difference. So that's what I'm looking for at this point in my life. Stephanie, thanks for joining us today. It's been a lot of fun. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Most Illegal Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on mostlylegalpodcast.com where you can sign up for our email list, get weekly recaps, and get some of your very own Mostly Legal swag.